Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Joanna were there watching when Jesus was crucified. They prepared spices to embalm his body and they went and were given this incredible news that he was resurrected from the dead. These women were faithful. They were unlikely to have been chosen by anybody else in that day for the team. But Jesus told them, come, you're part of my team, and they mirrored his grace. So Jesus chooses the unlikely to be his ambassadors. He also chooses the underqualified. Luke 9, verse one to six, it's the 12, of which we just read about here. He says, he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and depart from there. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as it were a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. So now Jesus sends out the 12, okay? These guys are underqualified. They are, you know, the, the, um, the 12 were a ragtag mixed bag of human beings from zealots to tax collectors who sometimes got who Jesus was and sometimes didn't have a clue between the 12 of them. They just were underqualified. And up until this point, they have been merely companions and witnesses to Jesus' ministry. They've done nothing. They have had no experience. They have had no at-bats. I watched the Dodgers game last night, so I feel like I can use that term with some authority, and I went for the Dodgers, but these guys had had no at-bats, nothing. That's not what Jesus needs. He doesn't need qualified. He needs people who will go in faith when he asks us to go. Then he also chooses the unknown or the unremarkable. In Luke 10, verse 1 through 12, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent on ahead of him to go two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. 
Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick into it, in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to the feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So he sends out the 72. And I love that the 72 have no names. We know nothing about them. There's nothing distinctive about them, except that they're gonna be sent like lambs to wolves. Well, that's a shot of confidence in the arm right there. So that's what they, that's the only thing we know about them. In literature, they have a device called the, the Everyman. I'm sure you're all familiar with it from your high school English classes. But the Everyman was just an ordinary, humble, unremarkable character that's meant to represent the everyday person. It's somebody that we can identify, somebody that we can see ourselves in their shoes. And I feel like that's a little bit of what's happening right here. These guys are, are nameless. They are unremarkable, they are unknown, and we can relate to them. We can relate to them. What's happening is that all of the disciples and followers of Jesus, not just the heroic few, are called by Jesus and commissioned by Jesus. They're unremarkable, and they went in meekness. So that's who we are. We are ambassadors, we are neighbors, we are worshipers. We're unlikely, we're underqualified, were unremarkable. Anybody feel like, yeah, that, that could be me? Mm -hmm. That could be me. So what do we do? Well, first we pray. Jesus instructs them to pray. Prayer is powerful, it's effective, and it's spiritual. It's an encounter, it's a communion with God. It's, it's being known and knowing God. It's a refuge, it's a weapon. Prayer is a declaration that God is God. It's something we must contend for. Thankfully, I don't have to teach on it today because next week Nick will teach on prayer. So hold that thought. But I just want to ask today, are you praying? And are you praying earnestly for something that is outside of yourself? Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Then we travel light. We carry nothing. I don't like this one. I like to carry things with me. What if I need a sweater? What if I need a tissue? What if I need chapstick? My lips are good. It's gonna be a disaster. I like to carry things with you, with me. Jesus says, take nothing with you. And what this does is it says two things. First of all, it removes any notion of independence and self-sufficiency. And secondly, it makes us agile. I'm gonna look at the self-dependence in a second here. Let's just look at the, the fact that it makes us agile. Um, recently, you know, we, um, we go every year on vacation to Florida. A very kind family have given us the use of their condo, and we, um, we went in August. This year, all five of us left on the same day from the same airport, so it was quite the um, travel experience for us. We normally do it differently. But uh, there we were, and uh, Neil dropped us at LAX, and he was very kind, but we were kind of, you know, pretty clipped on time. But that's okay, we were good. Um, Nick has TSA pre-check, I do not. Don't know why that is a thing, but it is a thing. 
so Fallon and Erin, being minors, got to go with him. Keona and I went to the pleb line over there. <laughs> so we wait and do the thing. We get through the other side. And then I made a rookie mistake. It was my fault. I had screenshotted my boarding pass. And when we got through security, I just looked and said, OK, gate so-and-so, and off we went. Yes, you all know what happened. <laughs> We get to Gates there and so after walking at a frisk clip and we're like, oh, our family is not here. This plane is going to Texas. What shall we do? So we call and they're like, oh, no, no, no. It's of course, it's in the other terminal. LAX is doing, not roadworks, construction, thank you. Um, we are up escalators, down escalators, through tunnels. Well, let me tell you, things started to change in how we moved at that point. Sweaters came off, coffee cups got tossed. We, my little roll-along bag only comes up to the first thing of the handle, so I'm running in a, a squat. <laughs> Keona's worse off. She doesn't even have a handle. She's got a strap, and so the bag is flipping as we're running. And I'm thinking, what's in this bag? Surely I don't need it. Had I not known that I would have been arrested and interrogated for abandoning a bag in LAX, I think I might have left it. Because there was nothing in it that was so important. And that's what we need to remember on the, the assignment and the task that we've been given. Don't carry things with you that slow you down, that weigh you down, that make you unable to run the race. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We cannot be entangled or encumbered. We need to throw off everything that hinders us, that weighs us down, and we need to throw off the sin that entangles us. For most of us, usually, sin is a little bit easier to identify, usually, because there are some clear um, imperatives in scripture about what sin is. So usually we can identify it a little bit easier. Sin's the stuff that, that tangles us up and makes us trip. The things that weigh us down are a little bit harder to identify because there's so many things that want to weigh us down, so many things that are good things that we want to take along just in case we need them. But Pink says, a bag of gold would be as great a handicap to a runner as a bag of lead. So sometimes we're carrying good things, hanging on to good things, but are they what God has asked us to carry right now? And then add to the complicated nature of this. What is a weight to one is not a weight to another. What God has given you to carry is not a weight, but it is a weight for you to carry. There's no manual on this. We have to sit with the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, will you help me discern what am I carrying that is encumbering me? Thirdly, we stay focused. It says, don't greet anyone on the road. Now, this is not a impolite and introvert moment. Rejoice. This is, see, I don't need any human contact. It says, I don't have to greet anyone. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is Jewish greetings on the road were often long and protracted and, and 
you know, they took up a lot of time. They distracted you, basically. So he's reminding us of the urgency of the matter. It's so easy to be distracted, friends. There's so, so many things that vie for our attention. And this, um, this account of being sent out is kind of sandwiched between the parable of the sower and in the parable of the sower, we're warned against the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life that distract us. And then comes Mary and Martha over here, where Martha is distracted by the care of caring. So there's, there's so many things that distract us. We have to remember that this commission is primary. We are sent as Christ's ambassadors. Fourthly, we buddy up. We go in pairs. Being sent in pairs was a common Jewish practice because it's it built in kind of protection and encouragement. Um, we're to support, to strengthen, and to spur one another on. It's better when we do things together. Ecclesiastes tells us that two are better than one. Two are better than one because they're more productive. They can help each other. They can comfort and defend each other. Friends, we do this together. We do life together. We do mission together. And then fifthly, we declare and we demonstrate. So both our words and our deeds come into play here. Usually we're kind of more inclined to one or the other. We get to do both. We're told that the kingdom of God has come near. And the kingdom of God is basically the rule and reign of a sovereign God over my heart and my will. That's what that is. We see that this kingdom is righteousness and peace and joy, and here the kingdom of God is evidenced in healing, in freedom, and in peace. People are healed, they're set free, and peace is declared to them. And I wanna ask, do the things that you say and the things that you do bring freedom, healing, and peace to those around you? When you open your bedroom door in the morning, when you open your front door in the morning, when you open the door to your office cubicle, are you bringing healing and freedom and peace to those around you? So that's what we do as ambassadors of Jesus. How do we do this? This sounds a little bit beyond me. So how do we do it? By faith, humility, and dependence. Part of that take nothing, remember we said it, it removes any notion of um, self-reliance. We cannot rely on ourselves. We simply do not have what it takes. We try to take all these things that I'm good at this and I'm good at that and I don't need snowshoes to hike in the desert, but I wanna carry those along because that's a thing that will make me feel like I'm good at. Jesus is saying you have to rely on me. We have to trust that when we step out into that conversation, when we step out into that endeavor, God will provide for us. It's a, it's a thing of faith is what we're doing. In Luke 22:35, Jesus is referring to sending out the 72, and he says to them, when I sent you out, I mean, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. Jesus is our provider. He commissions us, he enables us, he empowers us. It says power and authority. He gave them power and authority. He gives us the might and the right to operate as ambassadors, but we have to trust in him. This kind of, uh, this idea of being 
ill-prepared for the task at hand seems to be a fairly common operation of God, right? He seems to do this often. He takes people who are unlikely to succeed in a task and says, you do this thing. I mean, you know, I look around and I'm like, God, why don't, why don't you send, I don't know, send Jacqueline. She's excellent at talking to people. She's so likable. People love her. She can get a conversation going. What, what about Travis? Travis is really good at talking to people on all kinds of levels and all kinds... You know, Travis, actually, here we, this is just completely an aside this morning, but uh, I, I, I saw a picture of you this morning as being a, a, fire, tr- a fire truck driver, an engine, a fire engine, and I just felt like you are going to help people. You are going to be a helper of people. You are calm, you are kind. You are Christ-like, and you are counter the culture in which we live, and God's going to use you just to help people. God sent Travis. Look at all the things. Yeah. Nope. He's got a fire truck. Come on. Who can compete with a fire truck, right? No. God takes those of us who are not naturally inclined to something because it ensures that he gets the glory. He takes Moses who was not eloquent, who could not speak well, and he sends him to advocate for a nation in front of a very powerful pharaoh. He takes David, who is so small in stature at that point that he's drowning in the king's armor, to go and slay a giant. He takes Gideon, who's so afraid that he's hiding in a wine press, to lead an army against their oppressors. Why does he do that? because there's nothing in us that we we can't con ourselves that we did it in our own steam. God uses the foolish, the common, the weak, the powerless, and the low so that we cannot boast, so that he gets the glory. I want to, uh, I I came across this story, um, and it just, I feel like it illustrates, so I just want to close by telling it to you. It's a story of people who are completely underqualified and under-resourced and very unlikely to succeed in what they had to do. But they worked together. Everyone played a role. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it just illustrates some of what we've been talking about this morning. It's a true story. So in 1942, there was a, a submarine called the Sea Dragon, and it was um, in enemy waters. And on board was a little 19-year-old guy called Daryl, and Daryl starts to get sicker and sicker and sicker. There's no doctor on board. The best they have is a pharmacist's mate. And so he you know, looks at him, and he knows enough to say, uh, you have appendicitis, and it's getting bad, and you're going to die. The, there's no way they could get him up and across to a doctor. So they think, okay, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to operate on this guy in a submarine under the ocean with no doctor. So they say to the guy, you've got very little chance of surviving this. And he's like, I've got no chance of surviving if it bursts. Let's go. So this is, this is kind of the, a painting that, that they did to represent it. They, they laid him on the only table that they had, but nobody could stand up. Everybody else had to 
to hunch over. Um, they put their pajamas on backwards. That was their gowns. They found a little medicine chest, and they had some gauze that they put around their mouths. They, uh, there was a scalpel in the medicine chest, but it had no handle. So the machinist had to rig a handle for the scalpel. Everybody is doing a thing. They took a tea strainer, they turned it inside out, lined it with gauze, and dripped it in ether to anesthetize the guy. Everyone's doing something. The cook is boiling water, and counting spoons. Why are they counting spoons? Well, they had no muscle retractors, so they had to bend spoons to hold the muscles back as they're operating on this guy. Somebody there had to hold the landing lamp so that they could see what they were doing. They milked alcohol from the torpedoes to sterilize equipment. The planesman, who, are, who have you thought about the planesman? He's the guy who keeps the, the sub at a level. You can't move during an operation. So I say, buddy, drop to this depth and hold her steady. These guys, everybody was doing a thing. Now, this story is remarkable, not because it was the best appendectomy, that was not the neatest incision, that was not um, the cleanest operation. It took them two and a half hours to do what is typically a 45-minute operation. They spent 20 minutes trying to find the appendix once they had cut him open. <laughs> Nobody's writing stories about the thousands of appendectomies that happen in a hospital every day, but they're writing a story about this because this should not have worked out. This should not have happened. But they were so underqualified so under-resourced and so unlikely to succeed that it makes it a remarkable story. And friends, for those of us in here who feel like we're in those categories, the fact that we go out and say, yes, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, means that people will take notice of that and say, this shouldn't have gone the way it should have. You shouldn't be able to do that or have this conversation or reach me like that. We have all been chosen to revel, proclaim, declare, and demonstrate the mercy of God. We all need each other. And Mercy Commons, our city, needs each one of us to put up our hands again and say, I will be Christ's ambassador. Guys, you can come up. I just, as we close, I would just like to spend a, a moment or two reflecting. We've got, we've got a little bit of time. And I just wanna ask three questions. So you can write them down or you can just think about them as I, I kind of pose them to you. But let's just spend a minute or two. We're so quick to rush on and head out. Um, but I think one of the things we've realized is we so desperately need the Holy Spirit um, to empower us, to remind us, to recommission us. <laughs> to um, just help us understand what it is that we need to hold on and let go of. So my first question is, have I lost a heart of devotion? We started at the very beginning saying at the center of it all must be a heart of devotion. A lot of you do a lot of things. Where is your heart devotionally? The second, what is a weight or an entanglement or a distraction for me? And we're gonna sit and, and trust the Holy Spirit to speak to us here. And then thirdly, do I need the kingdom of God to come near to me today in the area of healing, 
freedom or peace. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.